And now, the premiere episode of Season 2 of Geek Top 5! Yay? Ah, jeez. <laughs> I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. Barely Graham. Oh. And we're back! We're back! Took a holiday break and a bunch of cool stuff has happened. We picked the best five and we're here to bring it straight to you. So, number five on the list. Uh, I'm not sure how to go, but let's just get right to the point. They're making a movie about Neil Armstrong. Uh, yeah, only 45 years after the most important accomplishment in the man's life. When more and more people are believing that it never happened. Because nobody reads books anymore. Well, and, yeah, exactly, they need more movies. Yep, see, that, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> so maybe this is a public service. Um, this, is, this is the first man, uh, it's based on a biography called First Man, Life of Neil A. Armstrong. First man to land on the moon. And just in case you're double-checking, yes, he was really there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, when I was doing some research on this, uh, I was trying to figure out why it hadn't been done before. I never really got a satisfying answer, but my favorite answer was uh, the reason it hadn't been done uh, up until now was because they couldn't compete with the Stanley Kubrick original. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> I, moon landing conspiracy people... Of all the conspiracies out there, that one takes the most leaps in logic to try and justify. Yeah, and but the leaps in logic are done in such a way that uneducated people can see it and think, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, it must no. not be legitimate. Yeah, you're blocking out any reasonable... We don't, we don't have to... We, we don't, don't have to... to we don't have to... Like, this is one of those things, it's... It's not worth the time to hear the other side of the argument because there's nothing valid about it. True enough. Put it this way, let's put it all to rest. If NASA was willing to fake big accomplishments, they'd have faked another one by now. <laughs> because like you said, it's been 50 years. Yeah. So the details about this, uh, Damien Chazelle is the director of Whiplash and La La Land. Uh, he is reuniting with his La La Land star, Ryan Gosling, and they're going to be doing this movie. Uh, they're probably going to start shooting soon. Because nothing says moon landing like a Broadway musical brought to Hollywood? I, that, I mean, if you're only looking at his, uh, his oeuvre from the perspective of La La Land, his most recent hit, I could totally see that. But Whiplash is an incredible, tense, edge-of-your-seat movie about a jazz drummer. And, I mean, I made a joke about it in, in my our post on the Facebook page, because both movies have had a very strong jazz influence. This will be about the first jazz man on right, yeah. the moon. But it's I, I just want to say, I love Whiplash. I love La La Land, too. Both really good movies. But Whiplash was incredible. I've never seen a movie that didn't have guns or, or much in the way of violence be so intense. Have you seen Apollo 13? I have seen Apollo 13. Because that's what I feel like is going to be this movie's big competition. Yeah. Because that movie, I've watched that movie 12 times, and it's still incredibly tense, incredibly suspenseful. But it's because something tense and suspenseful happens. Right. Um, getting to the moon is not easy. But in the end, you know, there was like, like they had to adjust the landing a little, but everything ended up working. Yeah. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it. And they're talking about, like, it's not just going to be about the moon landing specifically. It's going to be just about, like, the challenges and trials of getting there. 
presumably enough time has passed to admit to, you know, up to that point, losing every inch of the space race to the Russians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that probably didn't make them feel very good for a long time. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, I guess, I was going to say it's interesting, but I guess it makes perfect sense. There also is it hasn't been a Yuri Gagarin movie. Yeah. Uh, at least not an American one. And I think that would be a fascinating story, too. And I, I'm disappointed that one doesn't exist. But, uh, yeah, Neil Armstrong is... While the mission itself may not have the most drama or tension to it, he seems like a really interesting guy. You know, this test pilot who was in who flew planes in Korea. He had another space journey on the Gemini Eight. I Gemini believe. Eight. Uh, so he's he's had this interesting life, and then once he came back from the moon, he he. You know, some places call him a recluse, like he, he just hid from the spotlight, and I don't think that's completely accurate. But he just didn't. He didn't want to. Um, he didn't want to make it a big deal. Yeah, he didn't want to spoil the the aura around it by trying to capitalize on it and commercialize it. Yeah, you, you didn't need to have your know, Neil Armstrong O's. Right. I mean, like Buzz Aldrin has been in The Simpsons. He has been at the Fan Expo, the Big Toronto Comic Book Convention, many times over the years. But Neil Armstrong, I guess, felt he was above that sort of stuff. And so, in some ways, it's like, it's kind of ironic that there's going to be this big movie about him. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think it makes him a more interesting character. You know, someone who hides from the spotlight or, or avoids the spotlight is sometimes more interesting than the person well, who... And I mean, and he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't a recluse recluse. No, but like, no. He was a, prof- like, afterwards, he was a professor and he did, like, he did all this great stuff. Yeah. Uh, he just, he didn't, you know, didn't become a celebrity debutante. Right, but, you know, John Glenn turned his space stuff into a political career. Uh, other astronauts... True. Did Michael Collins ever do anything? Poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> you no, know, like a Michael Collins movie also sounds interesting. The man left behind, the man who's devoid of glory. <laughs> what would the movie be about? He'd be like, like, the other two guys would leave in the lander, and he'd be sitting in the ship going, well... <laughs> yeah, you know, he pulls out that day's crossword from the New York Times, orbits the moon, and then picks him up again. I mean, ah. That, talk about avoiding the spotlight. He never even got in the spotlight. No one knows his name other than you. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, but <laughs> I, listen, I know his name specifically because I feel bad for that poor guy. Exactly. That was just such a thing. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, it's slated. It's 2017, is it? Uh, I don't. I don't oh, think they've got a release date. Yeah, it looks yet. like we don't have a date. I stand corrected. They haven't started filming. I would say late, late 2017 at the earliest, probably sometime in 2018. So we'll have to keep an eye on it, but uh, I mean the story's not going to change. So we'll look forward to that. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. So speaking of fake things that happened in space, <laughs> uh, the last few weeks, actually closer to uh, the new year, we've got a trailer for Alien Covenant, um, the sequel to the sort of prequel to the Alien series. Yeah. Um, geez, how do you get around this? So Prometheus came out in 2012 which was sort of a prequel to the Alien quadrilogy. Yeah. It started in 79, and then it's uh, it's like... Uh, it's all over the place. 86, 92, and 97, I think, are the Alien movies. That sounds about right. Yeah. Maybe 93 for three. Prometheus like is a very different... It's a very separate movie from all of these. It really doesn't didn't fit into the category of prequel the way something like Phantom Menace did. Right. It was definitely its own story, and it just sort of happened to take place... 
And it's some events that had to do with it, Alien. It might tie into the Alien movies, and it might not. Like, it doesn't have to. You can watch it as an yeah. isolated thing. But the there's also, part. like, there's the, you know, there's Wayland, like, like the Wayland yutani Corporation. Right, yeah. And we do sort of see, like, kind of the Alien sort of. Really, there's a lot of reasons, but that was the big one. The movie got kind of mixed reviews, critically. It did well. Prometheus made yeah. money. But people were, eh, I don't know. So when they decided to make Prometheus 2, they put Alien in the title. Yeah, yeah. And they put the Alien on the poster. And in the trailer, like, all over it. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, we see the, like, we have the, the two people having sex in the shower. And then yeah. the xenomorphs. Ah! Yeah. Like the, one of the most stereotypical <laughs> horror movie tropes. But now it's in space. Well, yeah. Uh, so here, here are a couple things that occurred to me while watching it. Michael Fassbender returns from Prometheus. He played an android in Prometheus, so I thought he would just be another android. But in doing some reading about it, it sounds like it's the same one he, from Prometheus. He did make it in Prometheus. Yeah. Wasn't it just his head or something, though? He, he gets decapitated, but he's an android. Yeah. Like, that's, that's okay. Uh, he went off after the religious doctor, I think, at the end. Yeah. Uh, Numi Rapace played her. I don't remember the character's yeah. name. Uh, Shaw, maybe? Yeah, I think that's I think right. so. And I don't, I, but I don't know if she's going to be in this. Well, I mean, we don't we we get the impression a lot of time has passed That's since true. Prometheus. Um, it always sort of weirded me out. I couldn't tell how long before Alien Prometheus took place. Yeah, I think that's intentional, though. Yeah. Um, either way, like what we're getting at is this is very clearly they've decided. Okay, that was a fun experiment, but we want to make an Alien movie. We want to yeah. capitalize on this franchise. So that's what we're doing. It's back to the things you expect. It's a, a dirty dingy spaceship with a crew of dirty dingy people a lot of whom are basically unknown actors uh and they land on a planet and they find aliens and it's i'm a little tired of that in the alien thing it's like every single movie seems to start with ship lands on planet finds aliens it even even looks like it might be the same planet we see like the ring like there's just one shot of it but it looks like the same ship that the crew of the nostromo find in in alien it it's seems just, a little it, more lush. It's though. just the well, but it's also dark and raining. Like I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to tell and it's hard, hard to, to say from a trailer. But it definitely like they definitely do find like an egg and the yeah. face hugger comes out. Right, it's like all the key ingredients are there. They want you to be sure this time for sure. Yeah, this is an alien movie. But in some ways, it seems so close to the original that I feel like why don't I just watch the original again? I'll definitely go see this, and I'm interested to see what they do to distinguish it from the other, but it seems really samey. Which, is that, I mean, in that way, does that make it just a remake? And is that really a bad thing? I mean, like, Alien is great. Mm-hmm. Aliens is also great. Very different. So yeah. You can get, you talk to dorks, you can get into a big argument about which one's better, <laughs> but you can love them both. But seeing a modernized take on it, like some of the original Alien stuff, like the effects haven't aged that well. Right. You know, it, it's just, like, the alien is definitely a puppet at some point. Yeah, Ian Holmes' head on the table is definitely just his head sticking through the table. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, sure, I'll see it updated, why not? And the fact of the matter is, Alien, like, as much as it's a horror movie and it's a sci-fi movie, it did a lot of really interesting things for its time. Um, like, you know, Sigourney Weaver as the strong woman character has cut a legacy I feel like her character Ripley always sort of gets the short end of the stick next to Princess Leia as, like, being a woman in charge. Right. And the Alien movies consistently are about, Rip, like, men trying to tell Ripley what to do and Ripley growing to the point where, she, like, by Alien 3, she's not taking any of it. Yeah. You know, she's in charge. And then also, it does a lot of really interesting stuff with AI. 
um, Ash in the first one and Bishop in the second one, especially right. in terms of like laws of robotics and the philosophy of how we're going to react to these non-human human things. Like Bishop is a really interesting character and a really interesting exploration of that sort of thing. It's not just a dumb, scary monster movie. Mm-hmm. Alien has a really good, well, the first two at least, a really <laughs> good tradition of setting up really interesting concepts. So if they're getting more towards the Alien movies and they're getting more of that... I'm on board. Like, it's yeah. possible there's going to be really interesting sci-fi here. There's also uh, another thing it did, uh, well, those alien movies, as far as uh, treading new ground in sci-fi, at least on film, was having uh, it be about corporations going through space and not being about nations. True. Yeah, well, the company is in charge. Right. Which is a little scary for those of us who work <laughs> at big corporations and don't... Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so we did say it was a, a cast of unknowns, but there are some knowns. Catherine uh, Waterston is in it. She was most recently in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the mm-hmm. Harry Potter sequel, prequel, whatever. Billy Crudup, who's been in a ton of stuff. Mission Impossible 3, he was in uh, uh, Almost Famous. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, and Danny McBride, who was on Eastbound and Down. He's sort of funny. He'll probably be the hilarious comic relief. Uh, it's coming out on May 19th, and it's directed by Mr. Ridley Scott, the director of the original, the director of Prometheus, and a living legend as far as cinema is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Everything he does yeah. is phenomenal. Th- like This movie's going to be worth seeing, at least. Maybe it won't be the best movie of all time, but I have very good feelings. Speaking of which, that brings us to our number three. And this uh, it's turning into the movie review in this show. It's been a, <laughs> it was a great couple of weeks for trailers. We got the trailer for Blade Runner 2049, a.k.a. Blade Runner 2. <laughs> uh, once again, worth establishing. Uh, if you want to go back, we talked about this, I think it's episode 13. We're kind of mixed feelings on do we need a Blade Runner 2? Yeah. But it looks like it's coming. And this is another one of Ridley Scott's big, ambiguous things. We got the trailer. And we saw Ryan Gosling in the world of Blade Runner. Very much the world of Blade Very Runner. much the world of Blade Runner. So familiar. Yeah. It was familiar, but different. You know what I mean? It was like he was walking down an unfamiliar street, but it still felt familiar. It, like that dirty, foggy, yeah. it, just, it looks like an awful place to be. Right. That's, that's the Blade Runner universe. Um, the highlight of the trailer is they, they right out of the gate, they decided to address this. Okay, that Ryan Gosling's character, I mean, this is what, 30 years later? 30 years later, Ryan Gosling's character is looking for Deckard, Harrison Ford's character. And finds him, and he's still around. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because the big question at the end of Blade Runner was, was Deckard a replicant? And if so, does he have the four-year lifespan? Well, clearly he doesn't have the four-year lifespan. Clearly. Because he's there. Unless he's like another, a different replicant who just looks like old Harrison Ford. They they built like another one. Yeah. It's it's so confusing. Like, I mean... Once you get into sci-fi territory, you can... You can justify anything, yeah. but the question about that character remains unanswered. Harrison Ford has come out and said that he talked to Ridley Scott and they agreed that Deckard was human. And then Ridley Scott came out and said, oh yeah, he was a replicant. Right. And then, like when he was asked about Blade Runner 2, Ridley Scott said, quote, Ford was a Nexus 6, so we don't know how long he can live. Blade Runner very clearly establishes that the Nexus 6 replicants, the thing about them is that they have a four-year lifespan. So, that's confusing. And then, there's the replicant, like the, again, spoilers for Blade Runner, this million-year-old movie you should have already watched, if you want to still be my friend. Uh, There's Rachel. 
Yeah. Who's a replicant who has human memories programmed into her. And but she is unambiguously a replicant. She's unambiguously a replicant. But in the original theatrical release of Blade Runner that had all this narration by Harrison Ford, he said that she meant she had no lifespan limitations. Hmm. But that narration is cut from the director's cut. Yeah. And just like that's it, one of the problems with this movie. There's what four different versions of it. Four would be nice. There's yeah. a lot, and uh, and so it's hard to say what is canon and what isn't. You yeah. know what's real. So what's happened is that like we now live in a situ- world where basically what we have is Schrodinger's Harrison Ford, where he's both a replicant and a human until you open the box. Yeah. And honestly, if I was Ridley Scott and I was making this movie, I would still leave it ambiguous. Yeah. Because that's what people are crazy about in this movie. Well, I mean, I, I read an interview with the uh, director of this movie, Denis Villeneuve, a, a good Canadian boy. Uh, he <laughs> he was saying that when he first got into the room with Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott, they immediately started arguing about the replicant question. Right. So he was like, as a fanboy, he loved it. But the little subtext there is it's still unclear, I guess. Like, right. this is after the movie's... They've written it, it's like ready to go, and they're still arguing about it. So <laughs> so it sounds like we might never know. Uh, what we are getting is a new Blade Runner movie. Do we need it? I don't know. I, I, Blade Runner, I think, tells a very complete story. Yeah. It's, it's all you know, the examination of what makes us human. And really, when you argue about is he a replicant or not, the answer is, well, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because the whole movie's about what makes you a person. It's not necessarily if you're human or if you're natural or synthetic. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with a sequel. Like, are they just going to do that again? I mean, I, I think the, the if they avoided the replicant situation, and I don't know that they will, because I think they've pretty much established that Ryan Gosling's character is uh, a Blade Runner. So, I mean, Well, yeah, but so is Harrison Ford. Right. So, But it's like their jobs are to kill replicants, right? Right. So that's going to have to figure in somehow, you, you'd think, anyway. But the world established in that first Blade Runner movie is an incredibly rich world. Like, I feel like you could tell non-replicant stories in that world. But that's not what the Blade Runners are about. Right. So, it's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, either way, it, it it also has a release date. Um, it's in October. Yeah, October 6th. So, it's one of those things where this was the first trailer. We're going to see three more before it comes out. They're going to reveal more information. We'll see more about what this movie is about. I still... I mean, here, the director did Arrival. Have you seen Arrival yet? I haven't seen Arrival. Okay, so it's a good sci-fi movie with a high concept in it. He did did Sicario, Enemy, Prisoners. He's got a really solid track record. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Listen, it has Blade Runner in the title. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going in, like, suspicious. (laughs) You know, the, the same way you'd walk in to, to talk to somebody who's trying to sell you a car. Right. I want the car, but your motives are, you know... And just to go back to a, a previous episode, uh, Denis Villeneuve is also attached to the new Dune franchise, so as a big Dune fan, you're also going to be watching this movie to see if he's <laughs> worthy. Of... Right, yeah, to see if he just sneaks a sandworm into the background, <laughs> just, just for me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Okay, leaving the world of movies behind for a bit. Um, Mass Effect Watch continues. Our number two on the list. We finally have a release date and some new stuff. Yeah. 
Um, it's coming soon. Yeah, that was the biggest news out of any of the stuff that came out this week about Mass Effect. It's the fact that the release date is March 21st. March 21st. That's it's, it's base, That means the game is ready, essentially, yeah. at this point. And they have been doing very little marketing. I guess maybe this maybe they don't need to, because yeah. they have people like us who are like already committed to the asylum. Champing at the bit. So, it's coming out. I'm going to take some days off work. <laughs> but... Uh, more, more interestingly, in terms of you know, conversational material, we saw some new gameplay footage, including some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for the game, which is really interesting to me. Um, what we saw was sort of how the class system works and the skill point system works. Right. The, so not, like, behind-behind-the-scenes, but, like, the, the details of, of how you choose your... Yeah, in a, yeah, like, yeah. a role-playing game, like, whether it's, you know, swords and elves or whether it's guns and spaceships... Uh, the like a, a big part of it isn't just swinging the sword or firing the gun. It's putting together your equipment yeah. and your abilities and like what if, guns are you going to use? What yeah. kind of magic are you going to have? Yeah, if you're a wizard, which magic charm do you bring? And what spells are written in your book? That's are you a wizard? Like, exactly. You know? yeah. In the in the Mass Effect trilogy, they sort of set this out by dividing the character into classes. So if you play the video game, you're familiar with the class system. It's just each one has different specialties. So the soldier was basically the guns guy. And as he got stronger and progressed, or he or she got stronger and progressed through the game, you could get talents like things that would increase your accuracy or how, like, how efficient you were at range, specialized ammunition, things like that. Mm. There was also the technology side of it. It's the engineer class, which was hacking computers and deploying robots and drones, those sorts of things. And then, in this is Mass Effect specific, there were biotics, which is essentially Mass Effect's version of force powers. Yeah, it was basically magic. Yeah. Uh, force push, force pull, you know, just uh, some ways to warp defenses. One of them was like you created like a gravitate, like a little black hole, and all the enemies would get caught up in it. And it was Spin very cool. around the room, yeah, it was neat. So if you were a soldier, you, biot- you didn't really have any biotics. If you were a super biotic guy, your guns weren't necessarily as useful. Now, there were mixes, too. Um, my favorite class from the was the Vanguard, which is half guns, half biotics, mm-hmm. and that one like that's the one that had the biotic charge, right. where you like, warp speed tackle somebody. <laughs> so much fun! Um, but what it, what happened was that you picked that class, and that would affect it would affect how you play the game, because if you were a soldier, you'd be tough, you'd be strong, you'd probably be like out on the front line. Whereas if you're an engineer, you'd probably be behind cover directing robots and drones and stuff. Yeah, or your teammates. Well, yeah, and that what you're playing also would affect what teammates you're bringing along. Yeah. You know, in the first game, my first playthrough, I was a soldier. And the, the squad mate, Ashley, was also a soldier. So I wasn't going to bring her. I already had a soldier. Yeah. So I wanted to bring, like, a biotics guy and a tech guy to, like, to round it out. And then, like, you start picking who you're going to bring with with you based on whether or not you like them, because it's Mass Effect and the characters are super interesting. So as much fun as it was to hang out with Liara, I was biotics, she was biotics, and like, well, now we have all these biotics on the team, but nobody can shoot anything. Yeah. So that always, like, that led to multiple playthroughs, because I'm a fanatic. But it, it made very different ways to play the game. The new Mass Effect is doing something a little different. Um, it looked complicated. It looked complicated. Essentially, you're no longer you're no longer tied down to a class. It's a little more similar to a job system from one of the, like one of the older Final Fantasy games. You could you know you you perf- you perform an action, complete a quest, whatever, get experience points, and you'll level up your soldier abilities. 
and you can select to play as that soldier. But we see in this trailer, the guy's playing, he pauses the game and switches over from a soldier to an engineer. And he loses like a, an accuracy bonus, I think, and like a cover bonus, but he gains all these other bonuses and then unpauses and gets right back to it. So it's giving you more flexibility to sort of adjust on the fly. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think of that? Uh, part of me is going to miss having one set thing that my character is. Like, that became who that my character was. And, like, the choices I made about how to level that character up stuck. And that was that was it. That's who they are. And that's who I am. Yeah. And I think that's really good. It really helps to build a character. Um, and this is, like, even, like, using that comparison to the job system from Final Fantasy, I, I never really got into that too much. Because you know, you'd have the character who was, like, an intellectual and always into his books. Well, that's my magic guy. Right. Like, it seemed weird to make that character the barbarian or the knight. Yeah. It didn't, like, it didn't seem to make any sense. On the other hand, I mean, I, I have owned Mass Effect for ages. And every time I'd play a new class, I would discover something else cool. You know, I would put hundreds of hours into this game before I realized how awesome you, like, you could do this thing with the drone. Mm-hmm. It, nowadays, I don't have hundreds of hours to play video games. There's probably stuff that I would never see. This system, being able to switch back and forth, is going to give me the opportunity to try out different stuff. But do you worry that it'll make each each thing more shallow? Like you're never gonna you're never gonna master any of them if you keep switching around to different things. Well, you might. It depends how dedicated to the game. Yeah, you are. how many I, hours it is. Yeah, I imagine what'll happen is I'll try a little bit of everything and go, okay, this thing is really cool. I'm gonna do some more of this thing and focus on that. Right. But at least you've had a taste of all the others. And then if you're bored one day, you'll say, what the heck? I'm gonna try this. You know, there's something else, and you can do that without having to restart the game and re-go through everything. I feel like, I, I don't know, you say you don't have as much time as you used to, but I feel like you're going to miss that, like going back through the game I, I, and I, trying listen, different things. I absolutely regret not having that time. <laughs> that's not, that's not I, I'm not choosing to not play video games all day. <laughs> I'm just expected to do that as a responsible adult, or the closest simulacrum of that I can present. <laughs> I, um... And honestly, with Mass Effect, I might, you know, suddenly come down with a case of the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the Asari shingles or something. <laughs> anyway, it's coming out in March. I would say that we're going to hear a lot more about it, but it seems like they're taking a really low, like, you know, under-the-hood approach. We'll so, see. I, I'm sure, you know, the week it comes out, we're going to have, like, an episode dedicated to it because... I, assuming I remember to leave my room and come right, record the show. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, segueing up to our number one, which is such a disappointment because we try to make number one on this show, like, the coolest thing. Because that's what's great about being a geek, is cool things. This is the opposite of that. Right towards the end of the year, and in, since our last episode, we unfortunately... It's, 2016 was a bad year for people in general, but we saw the end of a geek icon when Carrie Fisher passed away at age 60. And you said you try we, we try to finish off on someone cool, and Carrie Fisher was cool. Carrie like, Fisher was super cool. There's no doubting that. You know, Princess Leia is is just the, the beginnings of the cool things she did, and that was great. She was great as Princess Leia. She was great in the original trilogy. She was 
not so great in the holiday special. She was <laughs> no one was great in the holiday <laughs> special. That's not fair. She was great in the Force Awakens, and she's had an amazing life and career in between, from cameos and stuff like James on the Bob Strike Back to writing novels to writing memoirs and to to doing ghostwriting on on films, like coming in and and fixing up yeah, screenplays. A, a script doctor. A script doctor. Uh, she also dealt very frankly. Uh, she was dealing with bipolar disorder, and she was very upfront and very. She sort of normalized that. As people overlook, she was a huge presence in terms of mental health, yeah. normalizing it and discussing it. She was such a powerful person, and it's difficult because we're such super geeks. It's very difficult to divorce Carrie Fisher from Princess Leia, mm-hmm. and. It's obvious that that bothered her a little, sort of the same way that Spock bothered Leonard Nimoy a little. But I think both of them came to terms yeah, with it Yeah, both of them came to terms with owning it. Yeah. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not undervaluing Princess Leia in any way. Um, Princess Leia took nothing from nobody. And she, she starts off in sort of a stereotypical damsel in distress role, but she takes charge. Oh, yeah. As soon as she gets out of that cell and she takes the blaster from Han and Luke. Yeah. And she's like, okay, get your get your stuff together. We're doing it my way. Yeah. And then she's on uh, the Yavin 4 base and she's she's helping to organize the attack on the Death Star. She's in charge of Hoth base and, and strikes back. And she's always like, she knows what's going on. She knows yeah. not to trust Lando. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet when they launch the, in Jedi, they launch the commando raid. She goes with of yeah. course she goes with, because yeah. she's Princess Leia. Um, Princess Leia is an incredible figure, um, and, and I guess she's not overlooked. Like, for, in terms of a strong woman figure, a strong female role, that's it. And that's, I mean, I, I'm a dude, and that was inspiring to me. I, I think the thing that makes it all the more inspiring in retrospect is watching it, it never felt forced, it never felt like it was just done in a message-sending way. It just was who that character was, and it, there was no apologies necessary. No mm-hmm. no bowing and scraping. That was just who she was. I, I, a lot of movies since then, when they take the, the tough girl character, that's this thing on, they, that's described online as uh, Trinity Syndrome, like Trinity from The Matrix. Yes. And Princess Leia doesn't have any of that. She's not trying to be cool. She just is. Yeah, she's just her. Yeah. And she's proud of that. And especially since Carrie Fisher passed away, you see a lot of comparisons, like, you know, all the Disney princesses, and, like, when you think princess, you think the big dress, and the big hair, and the shoes. She had big hair. Well, a little different. <laughs> when you think Princess Leia, you think of her with the, in, the, like, the senatorial white with the blaster rifle. Yeah, like or... Like, shooting stormtroopers. Or in a bikini. Well, very specific, <laughs> when you're a boy between the ages of 13 and 19. And 90. <laughs> you and I are very different people, I guess. <laughs> and, and to be fair, she came out, like, she said she didn't like the metal bikini, but she also owned up to it. Yeah, and, it, you know, uh, there was uh, complaints uh, about it being called the Slave Leia bikini, and, like, what message does... That send, and she was like, she she was this guy's prisoner. She's Jabba the Hutt's prisoner. Then she strangles him to death because he made her wear that bikini, and then she leaves and never wears it again. And yeah, it's like it changes it's, back into clothes. It's an but... empowering situation, you know. It just, uh, certainly, she turns it into one. Sure, yeah, yeah. Now, touchy to talk about, but it does, of course, bring up the question of what's going to happen to the Princess Leia character. Now, we know that she did finish filming for Episode Eight. 
Mm -hmm. So certainly that can come out exactly as it is. Well, as we know with Rogue One, reshoots do happen. So well, that's true, yeah. and 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 that's something that people have been asking is that what we've seen from Rogue One, pretty successful resurrection of dead act of deceased actors. Uh, is that cool to do? I don't know. I don't know, especially in this case where and it's especially, so soon. Yeah, is it too soon? I mean, you know, like with Peter Cushing, they went to Peter Cushing's, they say his estate, I presume his you know, descendants or his family, and said... Is he's it, a secretary, anyway. Anyway, but, and said, is it cool if we use his image in this movie? And they said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So, like, can somebody, like, if they talk to Billy Lord, I guess, and that's, said... Uh, her daughter, Carrie Fisher's daughter, who actually has a few cameo and a few lines in Force Awakens. She's one of the technicians in, yeah. the, in the Resistance base. She has she has the buttons if you're looking for her. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I mean, I feel like they're going to have to kill off the character because you can't do a whole movie. I don't. I but the killer up off screen. I don't like that either. But maybe they can like with the footage they already have and with some CG trickery. Maybe I, they can do something. But again, I don't want to think about exactly. Yeah. It's the same reason I don't want them to kill off Chekhov in the Star Trek movies because it feels so. Uh, I don't know. Icky. It. It. it, it is it disrespectful to the actor, or I don't is know it if disrespectful it's... to the character? It's it's very complicated. I'd rather she's just sort of mentioned that she's busy or doing something else. And I know it's going to be hard because the Skywalkers are the main yeah, part of the franchise. I mean, no offense to Chekhov, but we, we can the, the Enterprise can get along without Chekhov. Yeah, they did for a whole that whole first season. Anyway, yeah. they can't just have her walk away, like go on vacation. Uh, she's yeah. central to the story. Um, <laughs> It's understood that, like, the brain trust, like Kathleen Kennedy and co, are doing this right now. They're sitting in a room talking about the best way to handle this I'm situation. sure J.J. Abrams involved. I know the director of the of episode nine is going to be involved. Mm -hmm. Colin Trevorrow, I think his name is. So it's, it's they're, they're going to figure it out. But honestly, in the grand scheme of things, that's a problem for another day as far as us geeks are concerned. And it... I don't know. I, I'd rather just stay in mourning for the time being. At right. Mourning it feels Carrie like Fisher. It, it feels like it's too soon to address that. Yeah. Oh, it's so complicated. Yeah. In any case, um, again, like Geek Top Five isn't offering an opinion on this. We don't know what the right thing is either. And there are people much smarter and much more professional and much higher paid than us straining <laughs> at the same thing. The important thing now, essentially, is unfortunately. Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, and all our sympathies to friends and family and the like. Uh, they'll never, they'll never be anyone quite like her. No. In any case, you've been listening to Geek Top Five. Uh, we'll try to bring the mood back up. We'll be right back with our special guest segment. So please stay tuned. Welcome back to the second half of Geek Top 5. This week, we have got the illustrious Dave Clark here. Hello. He is going to be telling us the top five Dungeons & Dragons references in pop culture. I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm like, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm not a big D&D &D guy, so I'm, I'm excited to learn. Yeah, D&D and, &D uh... and pop culture haven't always overlapped entirely well. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and when they have, they've been uh, like 
little seen Tom Hanks movies that have not been uh, that have not put it in the best light. Well, I was referring more to like being the targets of a church movement, but yeah. <laughs> well, those are kind of the same, one and the same. That actually, those two things are, are one of the things I want to talk about. But um, so the, the 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 moral panic about Dungeons and Dragons in the eighties, which surrounds. Uh, Mazes and Monsters? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the Tom Hanks movie. The Tom right. Hanks movie. Uh, so, um, Patricia Poling, uh, her son commits suicide in 82, and she blames Dungeons and Dragons. And then that film, I think, is 83, and it's getting to be the height of the panic about, like, oh my god, your kids are going to play D&D, they're going to worship devils and use black magic. And it's as though Dungeons and Dragons was real for the parents who were scared of it, <laughs> rather than real for the kids who were playing it. Even though in, in it was a couple of years later, they, they went and showed that people who were playing D&D had a short, smaller suicide rate rather than the larger population. Interesting. That's cool. But, yeah. It's a it's a group activity. You have to right. you have to get together with friends, talk to people, and be social. That'll which help. Is, yeah, which that uh, helps people, and especially know, the people who are typically associated with Dungeons and Dragons, who may you know, have otherwise issues be in that regard. Yeah. Or, or... But that's the opportunity to investigate. Exactly. Yeah. So let's take a look. What's number five on this list? All right. Well, let's start off with number five. Um, very recent, 2016, mass hit, Stranger Things. Netflix original series, so good. It's uh, the most recent thing I have truly binged. Like it's eight episodes. I watched it in a weekend. I don't know the last time I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just in case you haven't already figured it out, Stranger Things spoilers, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Just so a heads up. We'll try to keep light. it minor. Light. Yeah. Light. But means... this show is definitely worth watching. Like going in and just experiencing it. For those of you who are big TV dorks, if you haven't watched it yet, just tune us out for a few minutes. Okay. Stranger so... Things. It's set in 83, so this is the same year Monsters and Mazes and Monsters comes out. It, the moral panic is happening about D&D, but the kids are playing D&D. It's the very first scene in the film at, with the kids. I think the monsters are first, but the, the very first scene with the kids is them playing D&D. They're fighting Demigorgon. They're trying to fight Demigorgon, but the clock runs out and one of the kids has to go home and, and you know, things happen. But it's the very first thing. So... The reason that this is on my list is not only are the kids playing the game, enjoying it in a fun way, they're clearly hanging out together, having a lot of fun, um, but the show as a whole, that's a D&D game, right? That right there, those kids are archetypal characters, absolutely. Right. It's, come, it's like uh, D&D cloaked in sort of sci-fi yeah. more than more than fantasy. It's not, it's not, yeah. But I mean, like, the kids, like, there's a, there's, you know, the, one kid is clearly a rogue type, one kid's clearly a bard type, uses his words, Eleven is a sorcerer. Like, they're all, they're, they're a party, and they do what parties do. They work together to find the answers. This So... Even in the end, it's clear that to me, once you get to the end, when they come back to the game and finish the game, when he says, you know, and it's, is that it? Well, it was a 10-hour campaign. That's the length of the show. What happened? <laughs> you you missed the, the last night, the princess. The princess is 11. She disappears. The last night, that's the chief. He's He disappears. Like, he's talking about the show. They've, they've written that end story there, that little end cap. That's the show. That's the whole show is their D&D campaign. Yeah. 
So that's kind of it's 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 meta on a couple of layers. It's I on, guess it's on several layers. <laughs> so so how accurate is the D and D game? Would you say to to a real life campaign that the kids are playing? Yeah, especially at the beginning. That's totally accurate. That's exactly what you do. You'd be totally enthralled, especially in a, a combat situation like that. You want to know what's going to happen. The dice, you roll the dice, and you're all hooked on what's going to happen when the dice finally land. And if it goes off the table, then you're all freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that's exactly what happens. And and the kids are clearly having a great time playing this game. And, and that's I, what they do, right? Yeah. When you when you go get together with your friends to play D&D, you shut out the rest of the world. You want as much time, like especially as an adult. I don't know, I'm sure Jesse's finding this. But you, you don't get enough time to play, right? It's sad. Now, by the same token, on the few opportunities I do get to play D&D these days, when the game's done, it's done, right? Yeah. And that's what this show has done, is that, yes, they're playing a D&D campaign, but the characters are also living one. Yes. And their experiences with this monster yes. and with this creepy kid yes. and all the mystery and the adventure, all that stuff comes out. I mean, it goes more in depth. I don't want to go too far into sort of fan theories about it, but the idea that that the you've got the monster and you've got Eleven and they're intertwined, they're linked somehow. Demigorgon, the creature that they're fighting that first scene, is also a two-headed monster where the both halves control the, the body and they're and both interleaved and somehow. There's clearly, there's a lot of parallels being and So, just one last thing on this one that I wanted to touch on. The, the kids in this who are playing are, what, like 10, 11, 12 years yeah. old around there? How old were you two when you started playing? 10? I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, maybe a little older, 11 or 12? Yeah, something like that. So it really, like, it takes you back watching yeah. them play. And yeah, you know what? It's the it, thing is that I think that it's a D&D, playing Dungeons & Dragons, is at its heart about make-believe storytelling in a collaborative setting, right? And so that's that's really all ages appropriate. No, the themes, if you're, you, it can be more mature, and the characterizations can be more mature, and then... And you, you have the rules, and if you're using Dungeons & Dragons rules, then there's some math, and there's some sort of crunchiness to the rules. But at its heart, it's about making up a story and playing along with your characters. So that's good for any age. Mm -hmm. I would point out, I think the appeal of that is kind of an escapist appeal. And I think this is something we'll see as we go through the rest of your list. But mm -hmm. to folks... Who maybe weren't as, I mean, I don't want to say popular, because that seems to infantilize it. But folks who had a harder time at 11 or 12, I think D&D offered a very safe and very healthy sort of alternative to an uncomfortable reality. Sure. And I think that is what, how it applies really well to those kids in Stranger Things. Because these kids are kind of off the beaten path, right? Yeah. Like, none of these kids are Zach Morris. No. <laughs> No. But we'll see that more as we go through. So let's move on. we still got a whole list yeah. to look at. What's number four? Okay, so uh, pop culture is a broad term. Uh, so in, in 1994, Weezer puts out the Blue Album, and on that record is In My Garage, which is an ode to all things nerdy in his life. And the first lines are, uh, I've got a Dungeon Master's Guide, and I've got a 12-sided die. And and then he goes on to sing about how in his garage he feels like he has control of his universe and he's safe and all that sort of things. This is what I love about this. This is one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite albums. Yeah. And I actually was like, wait, there's a Dungeons & Dragons reference in that song? <laughs> Literally the, <laughs> the first, first line. line. Because whenever I think of that song, I hone in on the other nerdy stuff you were referencing 
Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler, X Men stuff. So yeah. whenever I heard that part, I was like, "Oh, it's about me." <laughs> it's about all of us, right? And that's the other thing is he continues into the uh, into he's got a Kiss posters on his wall, and he's and that's also where he's keeping his musical gear. Anyway, so the story of that song is that he is a geek, a nerd, a little bit of an outcast, but. Like I said before, is you have to have a group to play D&D. You have to have friends come to you. You have to chill out with them around a table and talk to each other and play. Just having a, a dungeon master's guide and a, and a 12-sided die isn't going to be enough to, to, to have a game. To no. have a game. Right. So one hopes that he had the friends come over and enjoy the game with him. I, I hope. I, 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 I'm sure that that is <laughs> well, in fact... Well, I mean, the I rest of the song, it also goes into some of the music, right? Yeah. Like, so, like, one, like, it's romantically, one could assume that it's sort of the rest of the band is also sort of involved in this... Yeah, exactly. This, yeah. Exactly. So... So despite how, you know, as crazy everything is out there, yeah. in his garage, he feels safe. Exactly. In his garage, he feels safe. No one cares what he does. Right. Right? So that, to me, is like... You know, in your room, whatever room you have, uh, I'm looking around this room, there, there are things that you have in that room that uh, you feel safe in there with your stuff, and, uh, and your friends can come join you, and the people that don't think that stuff is cool can stay the hell out. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is kind of the darker side of it, too. One of the other lines is, in my garage, where I belong. Yeah. It just kind of... Like, that's true, that's true. It, it, it's implying that he, you know, he feels like a freak. Yeah, he feels like um, an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also, again, deals back to what I was talking about, that in some ways, the, the, like, this was a social activity for people who didn't subscribe to more general social activity. But yes. I, I do think, I mean, it's uh, that's the great thing about it, you know, as well. Because uh, everyone's going to feel like an outcast at, at some point, in, in some way. And the other thing, I mean, like... We all talk about games, you know, games have been around forever and ever and ever, um, but people go, hang out, come come over, we're going to play Monopoly, we're going to play Risk, we're going to play whatever, right? And those are just other games, D&D is just another one of those games, but the scope of D&D right. is the thing that really sets it apart. So, when you play D&D, you and four to six people... <laughs> Sit down, and and one person is the dungeon master, and they've got the story, and they're the referee, and they're the storyteller, and they're the 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 world. They set up the world, and each of you has your characters. But basically, if the dungeon master has a good imagination and a little bit of time of preparation, that that world can be as lush and as beautiful and as rich, and with as much storytelling as they can muster, right? Sure. Because you have the whole story being told by you and your friends. Okay, so Weezer, Band of the Geeks, in the garage, the geekiest Weezer song. So let's uh, let's move on to number three on the list. Okay, so uh, Community, one of the geekiest shows that has ever reared its head on on broadcast. I think we can all agree. They sort of had a knack for doing theme episodes. Right? Yeah, Community um, isn't on the nose a geek show, but man, it feels it's got it's it's infused with the geekiness. Lavar Burton is guested on it. It's got the Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, even the regular showrunners are like just yeah, do this, and they really showed this off in this episode. All this, right, uh, so the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons it does come back in a later episode. They do Advanced Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. That episode wasn't really good. It was one of the later seasons. And they were trying to recapture the glory of this right. episode. Yeah. So this episode um, aired in 2012. 
Um, just a quick plot of it. Uh, the beginning setup is is uh, Neil, Fat Neil is uh, starting to feel down because his nickname is Fat Neil. Uh, to the point where he, Jeff and, and Annie, uh, identify him as possibly being suicidal. Which ties back into, like, the origins of the whole D&D craze anyway, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, Neil gives, uh, his books to Jeff and says, I won't be needing them. So that's the trigger. His D&D books, His D&D books, yes. Um, uh, Jeff invites the study group to play D&D, uh, with Neil... They leave Pierce out. Pierce shows up, tries to ruin the game. Lada, lada, lada. They have a great time. <laughs> and it's the, not really true. They don't really have a great time. Neil has a great time. It's, the I mean, and the story, like, the story they tell is very much a community story. It's yeah. not... Um, like some shows, like when South Park did World of Warcraft, they told a World of Warcraft story. Yeah. With, with, in this case, it was still a community story, yeah. but just with Dungeons and Dragons sort of as the medium. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the most accurate portrayal of Dungeons and Dragons, well, I would say. But part of that is, is that, uh, with the exception of Neil and Abed, none of the characters had played Dungeons and Dragons before, well, and Chang. Chang is played. It's very clear that Chang has played yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but the other characters have not played Dungeons and Dragons before, and that's clear. But I will tell you, that is relatively accurate for a first-time group Okay, getting started. I mean, it's all done in 20 minutes. They First-timers do get into it and do start enjoying it more and, and, and yada, yada, yada. But my point is, that's pretty accurate for first-timers. But the thing I like about this example of Dungeons & Dragons in pop culture is, is that the group sits around, learns how to play, and becomes invested, right? They're all pulling aspects of their their personal character into the character that they're playing. So you got too many characters involved. But they, the, the show characters are using their D&D characters to, to portray aspects of their personality. They're... Clearly enjoying it at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very invested. You can see. But the thing is, Neil, the longtime player, he loses his sword. St- uh, P- Pierce steals his sword. And you can see that he's very invested in that. Even though it's not a real sword. It's not a real character. It's not a real anything. But there's, you know, we understand the investment, that, that the emotional investment that he's made into his character. And we feel it with him. I think it's a successful episode in that we we go on the emotional journey and 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 it looks like you know they've they've been successful in in curing Neil or uh, not curing yeah but he has yeah he has a wonderful time and he feels like he has friends yeah now let's be fair part of that is a lot of this is very comic yes Um, I think for a lot of people the standout scene is I think it's Abed who's role-playing as the female NPC. Yes. And then, is it Anita is the girl? Uh, Annie. Annie, who's playing the character of Hector the Well-Endowed. Yes, and in, in a lovemaking so, scene. Yeah. So good. And they, they and they just do the silent montage yeah. of them role-playing this. <laughs> and I think, like, the last line of it is like, okay, I spoon with her for the requisite amount of time to be polite before leaving. Yes. And... Like and how long uh, is that? So good. That's not how most D and D games would go. It's clearly presented for a laugh. I want to tell you how to play D and D. That's the thing is that, that some games, some some people want to play an adult game. Some people want that out of their role play experience. But long story short. <laughs> And he was very successful in obtaining the Pegasus that, 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 that right. the elf maiden was the gatekeeper for. So, whatever works. 
She didn't have to kill the elf maiden to get the Pegasus. They got the Pegasus. Yeah, yeah, charisma. Pegasi. 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 But the the one of the things that I thought was really sort of um, most accurate in this was how Abed embodied all the different NPCs. Yeah, like he was the dungeon master, and that's like and the you dungeon master. Do that you role. have to you have to you have to be a bit of an actor. You have to be a bit of an improv guy. But let's not go to that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, what's number two? Okay, so it's a bit of a twofer. Uh, it's Futurama uh, in two thousand. The original run of Futurama had uh, an episode called Anology, uh, Anthology of Interest, uh, which was their version of the Treehouse of Horrors. It had three right. chunks, yeah. and it was the, the professor invents the what-if machine. And uh, Fry asked the what-if machine, what if I didn't come to the future? So, he's back in 1999, and he doesn't fall into the cryotube. Uh, and then there's a paradox, uh, time rips open in space, and because he was supposed to be in the future, they see the thing, he goes to talk to Al Gore, the, uh, uh, the vice presidential rangers appear, I think that's what they're called, with Nichelle Nichols, uh, uh, Al Gore, uh, Deep Blue, Stephen Hawking, and most importantly in our case, Gary Gygax, who is one of the inventors of Dungeons and Dragons. Who so is one of he's the, the name behind Yeah, he's the, the name. There are other and names. It's a hell of a name, too. Gygax? Gygax? Yeah, yeah. G-Y-G-A-X. <laughs> like, the best name. <laughs> he fulfilled his destiny. Yes. Um, anyway, so he is uh, playing himself. Uh, all, the, all these actors, in this case, are playing themselves. Uh, but he is... He's the original geek, and I, the reason this this episode specifically is on my list is just for him. Right, he's there. That's all the credit credit you need. <laughs> um, he gives Fry his plus one mace in order to take back to the future with him to protect him, uh, but instead Fry destroys the uh, the cryo tube, causing a paradox which sucks them into a timeless void in which they end up playing Dungeons and Dragons forever. With the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, that's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty solid. Yeah, that's the, gonna... that's the afterlife I'm shooting for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons forever. That'd be good. I'm, I'm down. Mm. Um, the twofer is they bring back. Uh, they do another Dungeons and Dragons episode in Futurama, Bender's Game, in 2008, which was one of their longer ones. There was like when they were doing movies. Yeah, I think it was after they'd been canceled. They did a few direct to DVD yeah. movies. That were later split into three episodes. Yeah, and you can, yeah. and if you watch it as a movie, you can tell it's really three distinct stories. Right, yeah. just happen to have an arc going through it. Yeah. So Bender's Game, um, they are writing and recording this uh, at the same time Gary Gygax dies. Hmm. So I think they probably wanted to have him in it or use him in some way. They, they one of the locations is uh, Gary Gygax. It's, it's Gygax. The geysers of Gygax. Gygax. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, and there's a tribute into the credits for him. Um, but this in this episode, they're in Bender's emotion, uh, uh, imagination chip. It gets overloaded by dark matter. Uh, you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. matter. But they're in uh, a D and D game, effectively. Like, and the dice are the the stones of power that that will power the. There's one stone that cancels the, all the dark matter, and then Mom's got the other stone that's running all the dark matter. Right. Blah, 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 blah. But this this is one where the tongue is fully in the cheek, Dungeons & Dragons. Like, it's clear that it's being sent up by people who love it. 
right? right? And, and I think that people, if you love D&D, you re- recognize the send-up as something that this is being done by someone who clearly loves playing D&D. Yeah, that's what Futurama was really good at. I mean, the, the thing that stands out to me is that their Star Trek episode that they did on, on Futurama. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's done with, it's hilarious. But such reverence for the such material. Yeah. yeah. Like you, the, the, it's jokes at Star Trek's expense, but they're jokes that only someone who loves Star Trek would be able to make. You know? and it's it's and a celebration. Yeah. Futurama yeah. distinguishes itself, by especially not from, fun. by not making fun. It's yeah. they're very. It's in a way, it's very intelligent humor. Yeah. They actually work a lot of science, like actual science, oh, the into real their science? stuff. I love they, the real science. Like it's definitely a show made by geeks for geeks. Yeah, I'm with. But you. yeah, no, you can recognize a lot of stuff. Like Bender's character is um. Uh, it's Lord Titanium Anglesmith, fancy man of Cornwood. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah. great. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a celebration of all the fun you can have with something like D&D. Again, very liberal use of Tolkien. Um, like, the story they follow very closely mirrors the Lord of the Rings. Right. The... Like, for parody's purposes. Yeah, but... yeah. I'm happy with that. That's what Dungeons and Dragons is. Yeah, that's right? what Dungeons and Dragons literally, is. Literally, they had to change the name Hobbit because they that was that, <laughs> that was the line that the the whoever at at the Tolkien State, Enterprise yeah. at State decided that was the line, and they couldn't use Balor, and there was a couple other things that they had to pull out and rename. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's cool that the, it's that uh, in depth. All right, do you want to do number one, Dave? What's what's number okay, one? Okay, well, list? before we do number one, okay, I, I want to just run through my honorable mentions. Okay, um, we did Weezer. Uh, Marcy Playground had a song called "Cloak of the Elven Kind," which is a famous, famous, famous uh, uh, magical item that you can get in D anD. d And it's it's a song about a cloak of elven kind that you eat, that the guy had that I think his character had, not the actual mm. singer. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, uh, they're playing D anD. d in ET the Extraterrestrial. Which is one of the biggest films of that period of time. I have been dying to see that movie again, and it just popped up on Netflix again. When when was there a D and D scene in that? I don't it's pretty remember. Pretty early, like okay. it's like it's the kids. Okay, I I've got to watch it again. I, it's driving me crazy. Anyway, and I did want to mention that the Big Bang Theory uses Dungeons and Dragons to somewhat successful comedic effect in that. Their representation of playing Dungeons and Dragons is probably pretty accurate towards my represent my playing game of Dungeons and Dragons. Like that's actually what it looks like us sitting around the table, having fun and playing D anD. d And they're excited about it, and I get excited about it. Right, right. And I, it, as much as that show is about pigeonholing geeks, um, that is accurate. Like it's true. That's how you play D anD. d And the fact that they're all in their 30s or whatever, and they're excited that they've got time, they had to negotiate with the girlfriends, they had to, like, er- get everybody together. That's what it's like. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That's the dark side of the game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so all that being said, those are honorable mentions. My favorite number one reference to Dungeons and Dragons in pop culture is Homer Slain by an Elf. Okay, so... It's such a, a one-off reference, though. Like, how yep. does this end up at number one? I gotta well, know. Well, okay. First, it's The Simpsons. It's the biggest reference that there could be, right? Everybody knows. Like, if you hadn't heard about Dungeons & Dragons, but you watched The Simpsons, you'll recognize the line, we played Dungeons & Dragons for three hours, and then I was slain by an elf. <laughs> right? Right. It's, if pop culture had a mascot, it would be The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So Homer goes to college uh, to finish his degree. Season 5, episode 3. And completely fails to learn anything and gets the nerds to change his grade by hacking into the computer system. Great episode. Yeah. Great episode. But at first, he doesn't recognize that these are nerds. No. <laughs> because he just meets these guys he's, and hangs out with them. I think and he's has assigned a to them as tutors? Yeah, they're, they're going to tutor him yeah, because he's physics. a complete yeah. failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so as Jesse said, he doesn't recognize they're nerds, even though audience recognizes them as nerds. They're clearly nerds. <laughs> but he has a great time. And that, to me, is important because I always self-identified as a geek and a nerd. But I... Definitely could pass, but you know, wanted to get. Well, I would love to get more people in to play D anD. I think it's one of the best hobbies around. It's so much fun, and you do it with your friends. Yeah, I mean, you end up spending a lot of money on books or downloading them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then there's also maps and miniatures, and de- depending how into it you get, there's sound effects and lighting. Wait, and- to pay for those, or are they? Just... Well, that's just all just creative stuff that you can do. Like, right. The game is as complex as you make it. It can yeah. you can do it with a pencil and graph paper and skittles. You don't even have to map it out if you if the dungeon master and the and the players are into it. You can just do it in in your yeah, brains, totally in your head. You can forget about ranges and increments and five foot steps and all that jazz. And but just there's play a it. but there is a whole range of stuff. Even in Stranger Things, we see they have all the figures yeah. and stuff. They really like lay it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can it can get all consumed. I imagine that product placement uh, was uh, not too not too expensive for for D and D though. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure they are. <laughs> you know, the Wizards of the Coast. I'm sure they were Hasbro. quite thrilled. Hasbro is the all ownership right. now, so I think they're fine either way. Okay. Um, do you think but, it was hard for them? Sorry, just keep we keep going back to Stranger <laughs> Things. But do you think it was hard for them to get the those items? Are those like hard to find? No, figures? no, 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 no. Well, the figures. I would imagine are very easy to find because they've been they're out again. Like they, okay. they, they could use new ones, they, and no, one, you wouldn't do them. They could be able to tell the difference. To, no, no, mm-hmm. okay. I don't think so, um, but the books, the books can be hard to find. Those those older edition mm-hmm. books can be hard to find. I do have a second edition monsters manual and DM guide. The yeah. one the one that's been blanked of anything offensive. Wow, it's kind of a riot. Second, I have the second edition gear too, but that that should be the first. Advanced in Stranger Things, that should be AD&D. That should be the yeah, first the classic, one. the Red Box. All right, no, we're... it wouldn't be Red Box. It should yeah. be. We're, we're falling down a rabbit hole. <laughs> All right, anyway, <laughs> let's go back to the Simpsons. Uh, so, so Homer, Homer, they play for three hours, and he clearly loved it. That's the thing that draws me in. Is Homer loved it? It was fun. He he clearly went there innocently and enjoyed it thoroughly. And, and had no reason to believe that it made him a nerd until Bart points it out. <laughs> and Homer Marge like, backs him up. <laughs> and Homer no. identifies as a jock, and he's like, yeah. the jocks hate nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a nice, uh, you know, it's, turning it's, of it's his... It's very similar to the Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Actually, I mean, if you really think about it, the, in, in only Homer is not a freak either. He is <laughs> Homer Simpson. He is every man. Yeah. If every man can enjoy D&D, why can't you? Yeah. I, right? So you... that's that's why I love that uh, that moment it's just a moment yeah. we don't see him playing D. he just comes back to the table and tells his family that he played it and he loved it yeah and he's very sad that he got killed uh, by an elf slain Which, slain. slain sorry that's, that's part of the joke that he's using that language right, though, yeah. right? homer simpson wouldn't talk about <laughs> slain yeah but after playing dungeons and dragons for four hours exactly all right so any i think i think we're we're good on this one Right, guys? We we settled? We're topped up on D&D? I mean, no. We should play a game. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> like right now. I'm but, sure this is the last time we'll ever mention Dungeons and Dragons. Which on was the why I came here to talk about it in the first place, as you guys, with your geek top five, hadn't mentioned it in all of a year. We were doing that intentionally to bother you, Dave. Okay, and it worked because we got you to join us. Yeah, I'm here. We we did that. I'm happy. Well, you know, if if uh, maybe sometime in the future, uh, if if we were to get together and do a D and D campaign, if you would like to hear it recorded, maybe you could let us know at geektop5 at gmail.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com/geektop5 or on Twitter at geektop5, and uh, you know that would that would be cool. If you <laughs> let us know. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear about your D and D stories. In the meantime, this has been Geek Top Five. Dave Clark, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. My buddy Graham, I'm Jesse. Thanks so much for joining us. You're the most important part. Uh, special thanks to our crew, Stella Simeonova and Ben Sound, bensound.com. And we'll be back to talk to you again in just a couple of weeks. <laughs>